chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I begin reading from verse 11 through verse 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our loving God, we thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father, for the warnings. We thank you, Father, for the promises. We thank you, Father, for your law. And Father, we pray that we would tremble at your warnings, that we would delight in your promises, and that we would obey your law. Father, we pray for your people. Remind us of the hope of the gospel that we have, that we have in our Lord Jesus, one who is perfect, our Lord and Savior, who is without blemish, that he is the one who willingly laid down his life so that we as sinners might have eternal life. We thank you, Father, that you willingly receive sinners that you forgive us so freely. And Father, we pray that you would grant us wisdom from your word, that we would no longer be children, but that we would desire maturity. Father, we pray that we would be ruled not by our passions, but that we would be ruled by your word and guided by your spirit. We pray, Father, if any are here who have not committed their lives to Jesus Christ, we pray that you would do a mighty work. Father, we acknowledge that you are the one who gives life. Father, we thank you for your provision for us, and we pray that your servant will be humbled and that your son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed how it is that children, children tend not to like parents so much? They seem to love grandparents, but they don't seem to be so excited about parents. They like uncles, they like grandparents, but children, they're not so keen on parents. The reason why is because parents are the ones who have to deal with the everyday issues. Uh, we're having spinach. I don't want to eat spinach. You will eat spinach. No, I won't. Grandparents can say, hey, you don't want spinach for a day? No problem. No big deal. And, and so how life goes, right? You think about how children oftentimes look for the easy way out. And the very description of children, lacking discipline, being ruled by passions, being unstable. We think about these things and we think about how, hey, you know, is it the case that grandparents say, oh, dirty diaper, hey, we'll go back to mom and dad, get that cleaned up, right? And grandparents can pass these things off, right? But you think about dealing with children, this is what the parents have a responsibility to do. And you think also about dealing with people within the church, right? In many ways, we are like children. 
right? We are ruled by our passions. We're unstable, right? We're blown by uh, various novelties, right? Here we think about how God says that we ought not to continue as children. We ought not to, uh, we ought to grow up to maturity. We think about the ways in which uh, we are like the children around us, right? We tend to be attracted to novelty, to new ideas, only to find out later that they are oftentimes very dangerous ideas. So here I want you to see that in this passage, the Apostle Paul, that he's speaking about these spiritual gifts, that he gives spiritual gifts to his people. And it includes the gifts of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers for the building up of Christ's church. That we ought not to be, we ought not to be immature, we ought not to be children, but we ought to desire mature manhood. So the truth that we see here, God's children mature by loving truth and by the faithful collective exercise of their spiritual gifts in the church. God's children mature by loving truth and by the faithful collective exercise of their spiritual gifts in the church. We'll look at this in two points. The first is the obstacles to spiritual maturity, and second, the means to spiritual maturity. So the first point, the obstacles to spiritual maturity, in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Here, we think about the transition that we've come across in the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 was about what God has done for you, what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has done for you on behalf of your salvation, on behalf of your life, on behalf of eternity, what he's prepared for you. That's, those are called the indicatives. And then we have in, in Ephesians 4 through 6, we made this transition in the beginning of chapter 4. It has to do then with how should you live? Because God has done this for you, how ought you to live now? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, the summary is walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That God has called sinners out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that we shouldn't continue in darkness. We should despise the darkness. We should love the light because Jesus is that light. And that the manner in which you walk demonstrates whether or not you are of the light or of the darkness. Here we have this great truth in verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Meaning that, yes, Jesus ascended on high. He's at God's right hand. But before he did that, he descended. He came down. He humbled himself. Christ humbled himself by becoming man. He took upon himself human flesh. That he... He wasn't uh, in the, the highest uh, realm, the, the, the top 1% of society when he came. His father was a poor man. He was a carpenter. That he didn't have room at the inn. He was in uh, a, cat, a cattle stall, right? He, he was placed in a manger, a feeding trough. But you think about what God, the father, provided for him. It's not as if anything was lacking. Everything Christ needed to be, he was and is. He needed, we needed a perfect Savior, a Savior without sin, a, a Savior who is perfect in holiness, and that is exactly what the Father gave to us. Here, we think about how Jesus humbled himself, 
the lower regions, or he descended the lower regions, the earth, he humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here, God's, uh, God gives spiritual gifts to every Christian. He gives spiritual gifts to every Christian, to some even more than one. But he also gave gifts to the church in the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. We have in this passage a contrast. In verse, in verse 13, we have mentioned that uh, God's design was that you would be built up and equipped to mature manhood. And here, the contrast is that we ought not to continue on as children. So the mature manhood, and then we have the contrast of not remaining as children. So here, we think about the two obstacles mentioned, the two obstacles to spiritual maturity. The first is you. You're that obstacle. You're your own worst enemy in this regard. We ought no longer to be children. And the reality that we come to terms with is that you and I are born as spiritual infants. No, no one is born as a spiritual adult and mature. We're born as spiritual infants. There's a need for maturity. And oftentimes, what, what we come into conflict with is that we have the tendency to think, well, this person is, uh, is well-respected and high and mighty and has all these high titles uh, in life, and that if this person is converted, that somehow they're ahead of others who don't have all those titles. The answer is no. Everyone who is born as a Christian, who is given spiritual birth, were born into spiritual infancy, into childhood. And there's a need to mature. It's true for every one of us. Here, we think about some of these characteristics of people who are spiritual children. The, the verse here, so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. So one of these characteristics is that of instability, tossed to and fro by the waves. The world is constantly in flux. There's no stability in the world. So to say, their goalposts are constantly moving. And I don't know if you noticed, but their goalposts right now seem to be moving so fast that, that if, if you were to kick a ball, right, by the time the ball gets there, they've already moved the goalposts so fast that you've missed. Here, we think about how there, this instability shows up. I'll give you a good example of it. In the book of Acts, chapter 14, that Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. And there, they're preaching. And then Paul, these people start to call, they start to call him Hermes, okay, meaning the messenger, right? He, he's the speaker, so he's a messenger. And then Barnabas, they called him Zeus. And they, they brought all these, these uh, bulls. They wanted to sacrifice to them, thinking that these were gods. And they wanted to bow down and worship them. And, and you know, Paul and Barnabas were, were fighting it. No, you shall not do this, right? We will not receive this, right? We are but men. And, and then they have following them from the places where they were, uh, Iconium and other, other places that the Jews came to, to stir up trouble for them. And what the Jews did is they started saying, apparently started muckraking. And then the people in Lystra, they believed these things. So before they were, they were paying homage to them, wanting to worship them. And then you have this polar swing where the Jews persuaded them, and then Paul and Barnabas end up getting stoned 
and left for dead. You see how fast that was. Hey, they were bowed down to worship them, and the next thing, they stoned them. Instability. You think about this, instability is, is these polar swings of love to hate, to love from high to low, uh, for being on fire for Jesus one day and then stone cold for him the next. Here, consistency is what we need. You ask yourself, regarding this instability, does this pattern of instability describes your life. Is there, are, these, are there these polar swings in your life that suddenly you're on fire for doing things uh, for people, for loving the Lord, and then the next day something happens, something happens in your life where you say, God, you've, you've deserted me, you've, you've failed me, and then you're done. Here, instability. We have children are also easily misled or deceived. Uh, here, this verse continues, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Children are easily misled or deceived. And naivete is expected among children. That uh, there, there's not a knowledge base, right? There's not a history. There's not a history of, of trust in God. There's not a faithfulness. They don't see the pattern of faithfulness on the part of our God. Well, it's lacking then is a standard for truth. It's inevitable that the immature will fear man and follow the crowd. So men will say things that they will be driven by fear, right? So instead of being guided by faith, they're driven by fears and that they're led by their emotions. So there's no basis for judgment. There's no foundation of scripture in their lives and truth so they will fall to the level of being led by emotions and fears here we ought to be reminded that if we're ever following the crowd it's never safe scripture warns Luke 16 that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God that if you're saying no 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 we can trust the crowd uh, you know billions of people can't be wrong no billions of people are wrong that the numbers of the crowds should not be our confidence. Children are given into these uh, childish fears and emotions. That the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And in many ways, the wicked and the childish seem to act the same way. Here, we, we think about the the example that we read earlier in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. You think, think about how they, the Israelites gave in to their fears and their emotions. Uh, and also how polarized they were. Think here of Numbers 14, 2 and 3. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bring us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? You think about this fear, what drove them, their emotions. Then you think about, think for a moment. They're speaking to Moses and Aaron. But who are they actually insulting? 
They're insulting God. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. God, we despise your promises. You should have left us to die in slavery, is what they're saying. Oh, how about, how about this wilderness? We should have died in this wilderness. Instead, God is saying, hey, I'm promising you the promised land. I'm giving you the promised land. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? When did he ever say this would happen to them? He never said that. He never promised them that. Our wives and our little ones will be, become a prey. No, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Right. Generations, blessings upon your generations. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? We're going to turn and tail and run back to the world we came from, back to slavery. No, this is not so. You think about the ill. When we give in to our fears, think about the ill that we think about our God. We're living by fear and not by faith. Fear of the unknown. Oftentimes people talk about the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen. Well, the answer is nobody knows what's going to happen. And if you fear the unknown, that is by definition irrational. We should not fear the unknown. We, we, we know he who holds the future. Every, every little detail of the future, every hair on your head, every sparrow in the sky. So you think about unknowns? We have, all, we have all kinds of unknowns. God has no unknowns. And he's made us exceedingly great promises. You're not to be ruled by your fears or your emotions. Children are those who tend to reject or evade discipline. Whether it be order or structure, instruction, correction, or rebuke, childish people despise discipline. And they despise those who speak about it. You think about these Israelites again in Numbers 14. What did they say? What did these spies who were unbelieving, what did they say about Joshua and Caleb? They didn't say, let's just ignore them. They said, they ought to be stoned. It wasn't, hey, let's just not listen to them. Let's just pretend they're not here. No, we don't stone them. This is the rejection of discipline. Rejecting discipline is a lack of self-control or restraint. You think about children. There was a comedian, he talked about chocolate cake for breakfast. I won't mention his name because he fell out of popularity. But here, the dad is there, and the, ki the kids see, hey, there's a chocolate cake there. And he's oh, yeah, mom made it. I, the kids are asking, why can't we have chocolate cake for breakfast? And he says, well, there's, there's uh, flour and eggs in there, I suppose, right? It, it's good enough. So... You give him chocolate cake for breakfast, and his wife finds out, and she's, you know, fuming mad. And, and if, you, if you allowed it, kids would probably be willing to eat chocolate cake for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right? And you, you think about how childish people, right, act kind of the same way. Hey, let's think about the, the food that we eat, right? And, and we think about the spiritual equivalent of chocolate cake, right? So uh, the content of what you read and what you hear and what you watch for your entertainment, right? You think about here, all these things that are going in and the discipline that we need, the self-control that we require. I ask, I ask you, do you despise order and rules and discipline in your life? When others suggest it to you, hey, have you thought about this? 
Are you quick to reject them and despise their words? Children desire novelty and entertainment. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, was it, that, that people will gather to themselves uh, those who will tickle their ears, tell them the things that they want to hear. And this is why people who are like children will be carried about by every wind of doctrine. That there, at times, will be boredom in the Christian life. But the question is, what shall we do with that boredom? We shouldn't just start thinking about nice things to hear, novelties. Instead, we should desire the regular intake of God's word, crave the pure spiritual milk. <clears throat> Here, perhaps some of you are wondering, well, does it mean that you're saying that Christ came to die only for the spiritually mature? No, I didn't say that. He says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost. But this never means that God's children are free to remain as spiritual infants, as lost children. That Christ came to die on behalf of sinners. That uh, he didn't die for the best, he died for the worst. Yet we're also told, Titus 2, that Christ came to purify a people of his very own who are eager to do good deeds. Meaning that the transformation that comes with sanctification of his people, that we would be those who desire maturity in Jesus Christ. Here we think also about the other obstacles, that of the wiles of the world and the schemes of the devil. So carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You think about this wind of doctrine. There's all kinds of new teachings. And here, this much is true. False teachings, there's only so many of them. And they're rarely new. They're just the, they're just the regurgitations, the, the re-vomiting re of old heresies. Right? So old heresies come back. And they have new names. Right? And, and they're, they're, no, they're no better than the past ones. And it's always nice, it's always fun to say, hey, the church already dealt with that several hundred years ago, and it's called this, or whatever. You think about the wind of doctrine. We have a temptation for acceptance. Well, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Here you have the disciples already having this problem when suddenly... All the crowds are coming to Jesus because he is the miracle healer. Hey, Jesus, you could be so popular, right? They're going to be following from all over the world. And then Jesus comes up with, according to his disciples, the worst sermon ever. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to have any part of me. And then everybody leaves. And then he's looking at these 12. Hey, you guys want to go also? You think about, hey, here, Jesus, what were you thinking? You're a crowd killer. Well, the winds of doctrine. If only we could make God's word a little more acceptable to people. I have a very simple solution to that. Let's just stop talking about sin. The sin in your life. The sin in my life. huh? Let's start talk, stop talking about how you and I are, are required to grow in Christ. That we die to our old self and we live unto the new self. Hey, if we eliminate these things, well, boy, this message would be really popular. But you know what? This message would be emptied 
of any saving power. The good news is completely gone if we eliminate the concept of sin. The winds of doctrines come and go. We seek popularity, we seek influence. But Jesus is the one who said that you and I would be hated for his followers. It's not going to change. That's how things are. That we're going to be despised by those who love their sin. And they'll, they'll love the Lord Jesus, he who is willing to die to his own sin. Here, we think also about human cunning. The word literally is cube or cube-like. And back then, even as, as now, that uh, they, had these, uh, they had these cubes, these dice that we would call them. Die, plural is dice, right? We, we think about people who, uh, who play with a pair of loaded dice. You know, they, they had these tricks up their sleeve back then too. So the term is the, the human cunning, hey, that's trickery, right? That's trickery. We don't want to deal with that. And you, you think about playing these games of chance. I'll tell you once, I, I lost 20 bucks as a teenager. I was there in San Francisco. Some man with a wad of cash about this thick had these three cards playing three-card Monty, right? And you think about how, how, what was it that got me to put down $20? Was that not my own greed? My own pride? Hey, I can beat this guy. And obviously, there was another guy who worked with him. They were actually partners. Who, who they, he, you see them handing cash back. Oh, good job. There you go. And that's part of the ploy, right? He's not ever given up that cash. And uh, you think about, hey, this human cunning preys upon your own sin. It preys upon your pride. It preys, preys, preys upon your greed and upon your lust. That is the human cunning. It draws out the worst in you. And then you have the craftiness in deceitful schemes. Here, perhaps you might hear later in Ephesians 6, speaking about the schemes of the devil and how we've been given the armor of God to guard against that. The warnings in 2 Corinthians 2 of we are not unfamiliar with his schemes. So you think about the, the schemes of the world, the schemes of men. Well, what are they other than the deceptions that come from Satan? And there's all kinds of schemes. Here, think about these obstacles. Perhaps there are many in your life. Perhaps you've been floating on one of them or many of them. Here we ought to understand that there's all kinds of trickery and there's also the trustworthiness of God and his word. There's a contrast there. These are the obstacles to spiritual maturity. But then we have the second point, the means to spiritual maturity in verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, <clears throat> makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here, the first part, rather speaking the truth in love. Oftentimes, I think of this verse, verse 15, rather speak the truth in love. We, we think about this about you know, admonishing, warning, rebuking people, that we ought to speak the truth in love. 
That principle is true. We ought to learn to speak God's truth to others in a loving manner. But this is not the verse for it, meaning that this is talking about something else. <clears throat> Rather, speaking the truth in love is saying professing truth in love. Or literally, it's being, being the truth. We think about professing and how we use it. We profess the truth is that we profess Christ publicly before men. Jesus promised, he who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. He who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So we ought to profess the truth, that we ought to believe upon Jesus, that we ought to be willing to profess before others the faith that we have in Jesus Christ and, and to accept the negatives that come with it. Because we can't only take the positives and reject the negatives. They all go hand in hand. We, re we accept the truth. We accept the forgiveness of sins. We accept the eternal life. We accept heaven. But we also accept the rejection. We also accept the mockery, the despising, uh, the shame of the cross. All those things that go along with it. Here, we think also of being the truth. What does it mean to be the truth? Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Being the truth means uniting yourself to Jesus by faith. It means putting away the falsehood in your life, putting away the false choices, the false standards, the false habits, the ways of deception. You know what the worst kind of deception is? The worst kind of deception is self-deception. Have you ever met someone where they're so, uh -oh, they're so good at deception that they've managed to deceive themselves. They've managed to deceive themselves. That's the saddest of all. Here in verse 15, we're told that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then we think back to the characteristics of children that we talked about earlier and how in contrast to that, there ought to be a different standard, a different rule for us. So it's not instability, but, but it's steadfastness. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So it's not instability, but that you and I would be steadfast. Difficulties come. Opposition comes. We ought to expect it. There ought to be a proper response to it. Here, we think also about going on to maturity. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. Be naive in what is evil, but in your thinking be mature. And in contrast to childish thinking, that there ought to be mature thinking. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. And instead of being easily misled or deceived like children, instead we ought to show spiritual discernment. Wisdom is knowing the schemes of the devil and also at the same time the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Devotion to Christ is simple and it's pure. To the, to the Pure, all things are pure, 
But to the impure, nothing is pure, we're told in Titus. But the schemes of the devil, we ought to be familiar with them. That we ought to recognize them. If it sounds too good to be true from the world, it is. If it sounds too good to be true in the Bible, it is true, because God promised it. Here, Hebrews 5.14, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That you who are maturing in Christ, that you ought to be more adept at discerning the things that are false. That we ought not to give in to fears and emotions like children, but rather we ought to trust the Lord in his promises. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What is the remedy to the fears that come into your life and mine? We must fall back on what we know. We fall back on the very promises of our God. They're there for a reason. They're there, they're there to be trusted in. They're there to be, to be believed when the going gets tough. That fears are irrational. There's no basis to them most of the time. But rather, faith is founded on the very promises of God. As children, men reject or evade discipline. But rather, you and I, who are maturing in Christ, that there ought to be a desire, there ought to be a delight in discipline. That discipline is good. Here, I recall there was a famous athlete. I don't quite remember her name, but here, she talked about how a training, she was a world-class athlete, training was difficult, but she said, wow, but being disciplined in the Christian life, that's much harder. Sounds very much like what we hear in 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Here, the Apostle Paul is speaking about how in, those, in that period, that people train for hours on end each day, for years, to be athletes, to, bear, to wear this, this little, the little ivy wreath on the head, because that means they were a victor, they were a champion in, in these Olympic or other games. And that wreath kind of withers and falls off eventually. He's saying in comparison to that. People are disciplined for training in sports. He says, hey, you ought to be training in your spiritual life unto godliness. We ought to desire discipline. We ought to appreciate those who labor among us that we would be disciplined. Right here, we think about those, hey, why is this person always bothering me? Why is, why is Wayne calling me, finding out where I am, what I'm doing? Right? What, why, is it, why won't he just leave me alone? And this Frank guy, he's even worse. Here, you think about the things that we do. You think, you think we, we have so little time in our lives that we have to bug you? You think, that's, you think that this, this is what it's all about? I hope not. A desire for novelty and entertainment. Instead, 
of being children, we ought to desire God's word and sound doctrine. 1 Peter 2, 1 to 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that in the Lord? That he indeed is good? This causes us to lay aside falsehood. To lay aside hypocrisy and envy and slander. But instead that we would crave the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would delight in him. Here we think about what it means in every way. Into him who is the head. To grow up into Christ who is the head. And you ask. Is it possible to be connected to the head who is Christ, but to be separated from his body, that is the church? The answer is, it's nearly impossible. People like to think that, hey, me and Jesus are fine. No, you and Jesus are fine, but how are you in relation to his bride, the church? Here, we ask, well, is it enough that I'm diligent in reading my Bible and in prayer but I just don't like spending time with God's people and being part of his church. Those are some strange words that we're hearing. This is, this is not usual. That if you are going to mature in Christ, it cannot happen unless you are active in exercising your spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ. There ought to be a growing concern for the body of Christ. There ought to be a growing concern for the health and the life and the vitality of Christ's church. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you and I are going to be growing up in every way into, into the head who is Jesus, we must have a greater appreciation and a love and affection for our service to his body, the church. Think about these joints being held together like a hip shoulder joint, like a, uh, a ball and socket joint, right? Here, where we have how important that is, that the different parts of the body have to hold together. That when one body part lags, doesn't the whole body suffer with it? But when people are doing their own thing, being childish, they're never thinking about the rest of the body. All they're thinking about is, this is what I want to do. Right? I can drag my feet, it only affects me. No. When you and I are lagging in the Christian life, it will harm others too, necessarily. It harms those around you, or harms those who are dependent upon you. It, hounds, it, it bothers those and affects those who are in the church. In order to grow, you must be active in the life and service to Christ's church. Here, we think about this passage, Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. This passage squashes any claim about this me and Jesus. Hey, me and Jesus is all I need. Hey, it's okay. Uh, I'm not involved in the church, but you know what? Me and Jesus are fine. Unless you're connected to Christ and his church, then there's no claim to the connection to the head who is Christ. Here, we ought not to underestimate the human cunning of your own mind to deceive ourselves. You think about how when someone is involved in sin, they will get to the point when 
they will defend an obviously sinful action as completely righteous. Can you believe that? That someone will get to the point where they will, they will start to say, hey, I, I'm doing sin. Oh, sure, that's sin. But, but they, make, they make something good out of it. They try to describe it as, I'm actually doing a favor to people. This is how deceptive our own minds are, our human cunning. Here we think about, in order for you to mature in your thinking, you first must know God's word well in order for you to reason with it and lean upon it. First must know God's word. Then we have to reason from it. Then we have to lean upon it. This is required for your thinking. So there must be a regular intake of God's word into your life. That you must meditate upon it. He who rules his own spirit is better than he who conquers a city. Learn to put your fears and emotions in check. Don't have these runaway thoughts and runaway fears. You, you know how those go where, oh, if, if this happens, then this. And if that happens, then, then this. And, and before you know it, right, the whole world is going to come to an end. And the sky, the sky is going to fall. Trust in God's promises. Call upon the Lord in faith. Trust that God's ways are perfect. That you are where you need to be. And God has placed the things in your life as he has designed them. Don't, don't grumble about those matters that you can't change. Here, do not continue in idleness. Idleness has a bad tendency to bring mischief. Be active in your service to the Lord and to his body, the church. If we think about the very promises of God, that he has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. May that be enough for us, even as we continue in the challenges of the Christian life. Let we go to our God together in prayer. <clears throat> our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your goodness and mercy to us. Father, we pray that we would trust in you all the more. Father, we pray that you would help us not to remain as children, but instead that we would desire discipline, that we would desire faithfulness that you would help us to weather the storms of life and that you would grow us in them, that we would learn to depend upon you more, that we would learn to serve you and to care for your bride, the church. Father, we pray for the saints here for their growth and well-being. We pray that they would thrive in the Lord Jesus, that they would be growing in their love for Jesus Christ and growing in their humble submission to you and the word that you have taught us. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn in your hymnals to 103 Delta.